Mutation. It is the key to our evolution. It has enabled us to evolve from a single-celled organism into the dominant species on the planet. This process is slow, normally taking thousands and thousands of years. But every few hundred millennia, evolution leaps forward. Welcome to the Circle City Cinema with your beloved host and the one and only Zach Griffith, a part of the Running Book Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Linsanity Podcast, part of the Running Book Podcast Network. Whoa, 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 hey, Caleb, what are you doing? Sorry about that, folks. Yeah, me know Caleb. He just he loves to get his hands on everything. Uh, welcome in Circle City Cinema. I'm your host, Zach Griffith, and I do need to thank Caleb for the new intro. That is a fire intro, if I do say so myself. It, Caleb, you know, he's just got a good. Uh, he's just got a good voice. I don't, I don't know what it is, but he, he he just has a good voice. He's got a good knack for that stuff. Uh, but if you're wondering. It's just me today, and it's just going to be me from now on. Uh, Brett is no longer part of the show. He's moving on to other things, but, um, you know, Brett brought a lot to the show. I mean, he was half of it. He he knows more about film and the art of film than anybody I know, and he brought a lot of great stuff to this show, and he's he's going to be missed, but. Um, right now, it's it's just me, and uh, I got a lot of things planned for the show, and I think uh, I think we're gonna be fine. So, uh, thanks for sticking around. And really, besides that, nothing's changed, folks. And we start off every show with the news. So today, you know, kind of a slow week in uh, movie and TVs. Really, the only news that came out was uh, today. The night I'm recording this, the 29th on Friday, the Snyder cut. Uh, I don't know if it had a release date already, but uh, Zack Snyder tweeted it out today. It's going to be start streaming on HBO Max on March 18th. And if you've really, if you've been with Circle City Cinema since day one, you know um, how I feel about this. It's uh, I'm conflicted to say the least because I'm going into this like I go into every DC movie, and that is with a clean slate. I go into every DC movie thinking, well, the last one was uh, it was okay. Maybe it was even bad. But I'm going into this one thinking, look, you can't get worse than the, the one that came out before. I mean, you can't get worse than the Justice League that came out in 2017. You just can't. Or at least I want to believe that. And, the, you know, the Snyder Cut, it's, it was willed into existence. Like the, if you like that or not, I don't know, but it was willed into existence by the fans. Because that, that's what it was. The fans willed this to happen. I don't think the studio had much to do with it. You know, Warner Brothers was taking so much heat because Justice League sucked. I mean, quite, it, quite frankly, it sucked and it bombed. It only made like $600 million on a $300 million budget. It's, I think it's one of the 10 most expensive movies ever made. I mean, it had close to an Infinity War budget. I mean, that's, that's insane. That is absolutely asinine for a movie like that to turn in absolutely no profit. I mean, that 
that was supposed to be their Avengers. And, you know, me and Brett went over in our, I think our very first episode when we talked about the Snyder Cut, we went over the flaws and the mistakes DC made leading up to Justice League. I mean, you know, they rushed it. The thing with Marvel was they took their time. I mean, Avengers didn't come out until four years after Iron Man did. So, and they just really, they really jumped the gun here. And like I said, I'm just thinking it can't be worse. I mean, it just, it just can't. And it is, I don't know if it's going to be a whole different movie. I certainly hope so. Because I actually think Zack Snyder is a pretty good director. I love Watchmen. I love Man of Steel. Who doesn't love 300? Um, Dawn of the Dead's a great movie. So, and I enjoy the idea of it coming out in four episodes. I know that might have been a rumor. I don't know if Snyder confirmed that it is going to be a four-hour movie, but you know, at this point, I don't care. I'm I'm excited for it. I've, I'm a degenerate, so I talked myself into it. I think it could be okay um i hope it gets the r rating i really do i i mean as far as i know there hasn't been a dc movie get the r rating yet so maybe this is the one you know maybe this is the one maybe we see dark side in this one instead of steppenwolf scrub ass maybe we see dark side but um that's really the only news this week uh not much else in the realm of entertainment so today i'll be doing a monologue on the 2000 film X-Men. And the reason for this. All the X-Men movies just recently came out on Disney+. And I don't want people to forget about the X-Men franchise. Especially the first two. And a couple of the Wolverine movies. Because the first two especially. And especially the X-Men I'm going to talk about today. The first installment. It was groundbreaking. I mean... The fact that Fox went out on a limb and then it did a team-out movie like this, I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. And it, it smashed box office. It smashed with the critics. It was just an overall success. And it launched the X-Men franchise. It launched, it, I mean, it gave Marvel a legit standing in cinema. And it's just... I don't. I I just don't want people to forget about X Men, especially the first two, because they're just really good movies. And you know, you know, if you've listened, you know my stance on the MCU. It's it's totally unprecedented. It is changed movies, I think, for the better. And it's a fanboy's wet dream. I mean, everybody hanging out in one movie and one franchise. It, it just something 15 years ago you just didn't think was possible and now i mean fuck thanos is running around with the glove doctor strange is getting a movie it's just ant-man got a fucking movie i mean it just it's it's a fanboy's dream and i think the i think the mcu owes a lot to the first x-men movie especially the avengers movies and i'll get into it later but i just i don't think it's an overstatement to say the Avengers kind of needed the X-Men movie as a template to succeed because to that point that was the only really successful team-up movie from Marvel or DC and it was the only president Kevin Feige and company had to go off of 
and I just I don't want people to that's the bottom line here I'm, I'm gonna bang it into the ground this whole episode but I just I don't want people to forget about how good the first X-Men was and I think X2 is even better X-Men 3 can go to hell but X-Men 1 and 2 are awesome I just I don't want people to forget they're on Disney Plus now I watched it last night and it had been probably two years since I'd seen it in full and um, it's even better than I remembered so X-Men Came out in 2000, directed by Brian Singer, produced by Lauren Schuler Donner and Ralph Winter, written by David Hayter, story by Brian Singer and Tom DeSanto, cinematography by Newton Thomas Siegel, edited by Steven Rosenblum, Kevin Stitt, and John Wright, music by Michael Kamen, and starring Patrick Stewart, Hugh Jackman, Ian McKellen, Anna Paquin, and Halle Berry. Like I said, destroyed the box office. Almost $300 million on only a $75 million budget. 7.4 out of 10 IMDb. A little low in my opinion, but I can live with 7.4. Two and a half out of four, Roger Ebert. That's a joke. I would give this at least a three. Um, I wouldn't go higher than three, but at, at least at least a three. Um, why X-Men is a landmark superhero film, you ask? Well... Long before Kevin Feige and the MCU began dominating team-up comic book movies, and even longer before the Odell-sized shit-stain of Dark Phoenix, the X-Men film franchise was on top of the genre. Back in the year 2000, an era where Marvel Studios was still in its infancy and the company was forced to license out its characters' film rights due to bankruptcy, Stan Lee and Marvel needed a big boom from its biggest team. Enter X-Men. Directed by Brian Singer and released by 20th Century Fox, a studio brand new to adapted comic book media. With near flawless casting, one of which would last for the next 17 years, Professor Charles Xavier and his school of gifted youngsters leapt from the pages onto the silver screen and still find themselves visited by degenerates like myself to this day. X-Men was the first of its kind, an experiment that was willing to take the risk and bring multitudes of personalities together, rather than taking the safe route and going with solo movies like Warner Brothers had done with Superman and Batman in years past. X-Men was the one that proved there was a market for this stuff, and the one that showed us the ingredients to the cinematic universe we'd grow accustomed to 20 years later. Now I'm going to get into the plot here. Um, I didn't, you know, I watched it. I wrote down any scene that I thought needed to be mentioned here. Uh, so here we go. The opening narration and the credits. Now, if you've listened before, you know how I feel about opening credits. If you put the time into them, it's fucking worth it. And it's worth it here. And the opening narration from Professor X, the one you heard at the top, you know, you get narrations like this in every X-Men movie, I think, but this one's the best because it's just a, it's Professor X talking to you. He's telling you, look, mutants, not so different. I mean, it happens every few millennia, but we're not so different. And then we move into the Magneto concentration camp scene. This, I would argue, one of the most powerful scenes Maybe the most powerful in the movie, and maybe one of the most powerful. No, not even maybe. Definitely one of the most powerful scenes in any comic book movie. I mean, here is young Eric Lyncher, aka Magneto. 
getting separated from his parents at a fucking concentration camp. If that doesn't give you a strong motivation, I don't know what will. It's just a really powerful scene. And as far as I know, that's the first time he ever used his powers. I mean, been going off his face when he's bringing the gate down with his hands and literally dragging the prison guards back with him. I mean, everybody just looks shocked, him most of all. And it's, it's just a powerful scene. And I, I want an opening to a movie, any movie let alone a fucking X-Men movie. I mean, this is, it, it sets the tone for Magneto right away. You get where he's coming from. You get his motivation. It's, it's just, it's perfect. Moving on, Rogue sends boyfriend into a coma. You know, let, let's, just, let's just be honest here, folks. Our dude was just trying to get laid. All right, he's he's in Rogue's bedroom. It's just the two of them. He's trying to get laid. Okay, let's just quit beating around the butt. He's he's trying to get laid. All he does is peck Rogue on the lips, and this dude goes into a coma for what we later learn is three months, I believe. This dude is never dating again. And this is one of the most eligible candidates for Dudes Down Bad. If this isn't Dudes Down Bad, I don't, I don't know what is. You kiss a girl and go into a coma. You're never dating again. You never look at women the same way. It's just, this dude, I want to know what happens to this dude. Is he, is he in a psychiatric facility? Where is he? He's, he's fucked. He's fucked. But in all seriousness... I'm glad they kind of made Rogue. I mean, Rogue and Wolverine are the main characters of this movie. And I'm glad they made Rogue one of them because her power, her ability that her mutation gives, it's one, it's probably the most alienating because she can't touch anyone. You know, she can't, she can't give anyone a hug. She can't hold hands with somebody without having gloves on. Or she'll literally she'll literally kill them, and it's it really humanizes her because I mean think about think about what you do every day you know you you before you go to bed at night right you you hug your loved ones and you go to bed. Rogue can't do that. Rogue can't do that because she's literally putting them in danger. She could kill them, and I just thought making her one of the main characters was just a brilliant idea because she's, she's a great character. She's one of the great female characters in the Marvel universe. And I really hope, I mean, it's a given they're going to do her justice in the MCU because she's one of the best X-Men there ever has been. And I thought Anna Paquin, we'll get into performances later, but Anna Paquin, I just thought did a great job as bro. Moving on to the, Senate hearing with Senator Kelly. I am the Senate. Now, Senator Kelly is, he's just a total ass clown. I mean, this guy, when he dies later on, I, 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 I didn't feel any pain. He, he, he needed to go. But this is a good scene because you get a feeling of, how the outside world feels about mutants. Mutants have been totally alienated from society. 
if you get outed as a mutant, you're basically screwed because people will look at you differently for the rest of your life. And what Senator Kelly wants here is basically for all mutants to register themselves. So there's a national database of who the mutants are, what their powers are, what they can do. And it's not too different from what what the Sokovia Accords were in Civil War, if you remember. And it's, again, you're immediately feeling sorry for the mutants because, like, they're humans too. They just have powers. And them being forced to, you know, register themselves as such, it's, it's, it's offensive probably to them. And then we get the Professor X and Magneto exchange in the hallway after the Senate hearing. Um, Professor X and Magneto, you know, you get the chemistry right away. I mean, Professor X still has hope that he can bring Magneto back to his side because Magneto just sees humans as the all-time evil. And because we saw the concentration camp before, we know why. He knows what they're capable of. And he's seeing the same thing here. And he doesn't want that to happen. Professor X, meanwhile, trying to bring him back to the light, if you will, trying to get him to see reason. And Magneto just doesn't want any of it. We get the great exchange between them. And Magneto just finally says, we are the future, Charles, not them. They no longer matter. And uh, Charles just has to, he just has to give in because he knows Magneto is never going to change. And it pains him because these guys were once best friends, as we see later on in X-Men First Class, uh, Days of Future Past. We, you know, they, they're close. They were brothers at one time. And it just kills Professor X because he knows, he understands Magneto's point of view, but he just doesn't like that he's acting out on it. Moving on to the Wolverine boxing and bar scene. This is literally the perfect introduction for Wolverine. Um, you, As soon as the camera pans to him leaning against the cage in the boxing ring, you're like, yep, that's, that's Wolverine. That's him. I mean, I can't imagine being in the theater when this movie came out and seeing that shot. I mean, I would just been like, yeah, that's fucking Wolverine. I don't even have to ask who that is. Yeah, I mean, the, the haircut, the stance, the stance, the ferocity. I didn't even need the announcer, whatever he's getting paid. I didn't even need him to say the Wolverine. I didn't even, I didn't even need that. You just know right away. And it's literally the perfect intro. And the, after the fight, you know, things get out of hand. Wolverine is confronted by the guy he beat the shit out of. I don't know what he's thinking, that guy, but he lightens up pretty quick once Wolverine's claws are at his fucking throat. He lightens up pretty quick. He starts to see he starts to see things from Logan's point of view after the claws are in his throat. So he gets kicked out. Rogue follows him and Rogue, you know, stows away in the trailer. Wolverine finds her, gives her a ride anyway, because he's, you know, he's a, he's a nice guy. And she asks him, I thought this was a great exchange. She asks him if it hurts when the claws come out. And he responds every time. And honestly, that's something, as a guy who read X-Men comics, probably my favorite line of comics, to be honest. I don't, I never thought of it like that. I just I just thought that came out and that was it. I didn't think it hurt. And 
I'm glad. I, it's just, I don't know. It makes me happy. I'm glad, I'm glad she asked that. And it, it makes sense. It hurts. It's coming out of your skin. It's coming out of your body through your skin. Of course it would hurt. And we get the first um, healing scene from Wolverine after he's launched from the windshield into the snow. It's just really cool, and it kind of holds up. I mean, this was 21 years ago. It holds up. And let's be honest, Sabretooth, who comes, who turns out to be behind the attack, he kicks Logan's ass. I mean, it's not, it's not even close, folks. He kicks his ass only for Storm and Cyclops to come and save them um, and take him back to the, the mansion. Now, before we move on to the next scene, Look, look, folks, Cyclops is going to take a massive L in this episode because he his general attitude and vibe he gives off is just asshole like. And I, I can't get around that. I can't get around that. And he's, he's just going he's going to take some L's. Look, let me just preface by saying Cyclops is one of the top three X-Men of all time and at various points in the comics was the leader of the X-Men. I have nothing but respect for Cyclops, but you're an asshole in this movie and I'm going to make you pay for it. So that's just, that's just your disclaimer. If you're listening, Cyclops will take some L's in this episode. So I'm sorry for all the Cyclops stands, but he will take some L's. Moving on, when they get to the mansion, Logan wakes up and he's running through the mansion and Professor X is literally fucking with him. He is in his head, messing with him. I mean, Logan thinks there is a man chasing him. He's, he's hiding behind corners. He's disguising himself in clothes he just found. And Professor X is just messing with him. It's, it's kind of it's cruel, but... Eventually, he finds Professor X, realizes it's him in his head, and he meets the other X-Men. He meets Scott, a.k.a. Cyclops. He meets Jean Grey, and a great exchange here. What do they call you? Wheels? In reference to Professor X, it's just it's awesome. And I'm really glad that they say the names of the heroes. I'm glad they just don't call them Scott and Jean and Logan and Charles. I'm glad they say... Cyclops, Wolverine, Rogue, Magneto. I'm I'm glad they say it. It's just I, I don't know. It just could just be me being a comic book fan, but I, I I like it. And we get the beginning of Scott Summers just being a total asshole. It, it's a phenomenal run he goes on in this episode. And that brings me to our first advertisement of tonight. A word from our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters. Is your child exhibiting strange and erratic behavior? Have things happened in your home that left you speechless or defied everything you thought you knew? Strange noises coming from your son or daughter's bedroom? I think you know what I'm getting at. Fear not. At Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters, your child will find not only a learning environment to sharpen their growing and unique abilities, but also a home away from home. Founded by Professor Charles Xavier, Xavier School is headlined by a dream team of instructors who know exactly what your child is experiencing. There's a teacher here for everyone here at Xavier's. Interested in mutant history? 
The brilliant Dr. Jean Grey is the one for you. Are your powers so out of control and excessive that only the best of the best can help you? Professor X has you covered. Looking for a perspective from how to approach non-mutants? Storm's experience with humans is unrivaled. Yearning for a miserable time with the teacher grimacing over you and your classmates for the whole period? Or perhaps you just can't take your eyes off your scorching hot Professor Storm. Look no further than Scott Summers, whose attitude and just overall presence will make you want to leave the school behind. Xavier's school for gifted youngsters, where mutants become more. Thank you very much for that. I know Xavier's school, you know, they, they're a great sponsor for this show, and what an episode to be a sponsor for. So moving on to the next scene, Senator Kelly kidnapped by Mystique in the helicopter. And he just has an all-time asshole quote when it, referencing who's going to take care of the quote-unquote mutant problem. He says, it's the reason people like me exist. Fuck off. Fuck off, dude. Yeah, you're, how many special interests are you serving right now when you say that? You're on a, you're on a helicopter, a private helicopter. Don't hit me with the quote like this, all right? Don't. I'm not. Uh, nobody, nobody wants to hear it, dude, all right? And this scene, I, I put this next scene in just because I thought it was cool. It's not really, well, it's kind of significant. Logan's x-ray. And I put it in here because, you know, they, they do a good job of littering the, the movies with Logan's backstory. and. It's part of the reason X-Men Origins Wolverine was so disappointing because they did such a good job of laying a little Easter egg here of Wolverine's past, how he got the adamantium skeleton, how he got the claws. And the X-ray here literally shows his skeleton is made of the adamantium metal. And it's just awesome. And listening to Jean Grey explain how we don't know how old he is. We, he very well could be older than you, Professor, is what she says. And that's kind of crazy to think about. And it shows you how awesome Wolverine's mutation is and that not only does it make him heal faster, but he ages. I don't want to say he doesn't age, but he ages a lot slower than like you or I would. He... He's he's just one of the we'll get into Hugh Jackman and the role later, but he's just one of the greatest you, you don't need me to tell you this, but he's he's just one of the greatest characters in comic book history and, and really I don't think it's too far to say cinematic history because you could make a case when these movies came out early two thousands, Wolverine and in part, in large part, due to Hugh Jackson's performance as Wolverine, Wolverine was maybe the most famous comic book character at the time. I mean, even more famous than Spider-Man or Batman or, or Superman or Wonder Woman. He, he was that famous, and I think it, they owe a lot to Hugh Jackson's performance. I mean, Wolverine was already an icon before that. But Hugh Jackman's performance as Wolverine, I think, just upped it to another level, a level that I don't even think Marvel thought it could get to. And the, the X-ray scene, it's fan service. That's what it is. But 
it's great fan service, and I'm never opposed to it. Senator Kelly is then hit with the mutant machine. He has been taken to Magneto's island, and uh, Magneto, we get a we get to see uh, what his plan is. He wants there's a UN summit coming in New York where this is based, and he wants to turn all the humans who are against mutants into the very thing they hate mutants and it's it, it's a great scene because again we can see where we can see where Magneto's coming from and some great acting from Bruce Davison who plays Senator Kelly and he's just he's got a look on his face like oh oh fuck he, he's he's like and he, he just he just He's terrified. And the faces Magneto is making in this scene as he's operating the machine. Well, at one point, his face looks like he stepped on a Lego. And then another point, he's, he looks like he's getting a blowjob. I don't, I don't know what the machine does to him, but it, it, it causes a, lot, a wide range of emotions. So <laughs> I, I, I don't know what's going on. And then uh, one of the best scenes, in my opinion, the Wolverine Nightmare where you know he can't sleep he's he's having a nightmare he wakes up and rogue is there and he's still in a delusional state kind of and he stabs rogue with his claws and it looks like rogue's going to die but she grabs him and heals herself and this is i believe the first time we see logan's visions of you know the experiment that made him wolverine that gave him the adamantium claws the adamantium skeleton and that you know the experiment itself wasn't the thing that left him uh without the memory but it's just it's just cool and again it's just something that makes x-men origins wolverine so disappointing because i was so hyped for that movie i mean i remember it 2009 and i just thought we're finally gonna get they're finally gonna give us how he became Wolverine. The whole X-Men franchise, to some degree, has been leading to this. And I don't, you know, I don't want to harp on it anymore. I'm going to try not to. But, you know, I got some, I got some wine in me. And I, I, I'm, I'm reminded of how bad X-Men Origins was. And I'm going to try and avoid slandering it too much tonight. But, you know, we'll see. Senator Kelly washes up on the beach. He was able to escape Magneto's compound. And, you know, we see what Magneto's machine does. It makes humans into mutants. And for him, I don't know what he was supposed to be. Maybe he just, uh, maybe he's just like Hydro Man. You know, if you saw, if you read Spider-Man comics or you saw the animated series from the 90s, you know who Hydro Man is. Maybe that's what he was supposed to be. But the thing Magneto doesn't know is that his machine kills humans. The powers don't last. I mean, it's good. Senator Kelly, as we get through later, fucking dies. And Magneto doesn't know that. And I think if, even if he did know it, he, he wouldn't care. But Kelly washes up on the beach. This is where we get the Stan Lee cameo. Um, the kids look at the whole beach, just dumbfounded looking at this ass naked senator washing up on the beach grabbing some clothes and just walking off it's what the hell I can't imagine being on that beach when Senator Kelly washes up nude I I can't imagine 
And then we get the first use of Cerebro. Professor X uses it to find Rogue, who's run off after Mystique, disguised as Bobby Drake, a.k.a. Iceman, basically tells her to screw off, tells her uh, she freaked people out after the Wolverine uh, nightmare thing. So she, she's, she's run off to the train station. And it's really cool here because Cerebro... You know, something I never thought I would see, and this is why I wish I had seen this in the theater. I mean, I was only I was only three when I came out, folks, and I, I wish I had been 13 because I would have appreciated this a lot more than I did. Cerebro is a machine that Professor X can use to locate any mutants he wants. And he uses it to find Rogue. And it's just really, it's a really cool visual scene. Um, the CGI, for the most part, considering it's 2000, holds up okay. It holds up okay. I mean, there's some, <laughs> there's, don't get me wrong, there's some, there's some parts where you can't help but laugh. But this one is not one of them. This one legitimately holds up. And that brings us into Logan stealing Scott's motorcycle. And this will not be the first time, folks. Really just a fuck you to Scott. I mean, Logan and Wolverine, or, yeah, Logan and Scott have not gotten along the whole movie, and it just it it was a it was building up, and the boiling point came when Logan legitimately commits Grand Theft Auto and steals Scott's motorcycle, leading into the train station fight and Magneto versus Professor X. The train station fight's great because we get Storm's powers for the first time. Storm sends a lightning bolt into Sabretooth's back, which he somehow walks off. Um, I'm not sure if Sabretooth also has regenerative healing powers like Wolverine, but uh, he he walks off a lightning bolt. That's kind of wild. Toad is in this scene. I was talking to my producer, Alex, uh, before the show, and he... Not a fan of Toad. And Toad, look, this version of Toad... Is a lot better than the one in the books. The one in the books, I'll just say it, he sucks. He sucks. I don't like him. I don't know anybody who likes him. He just sucks. And this one was, he was okay. I don't think we ever see him again in the X-Men franchise as far as the movies go, but he, he was good. He was, he was a legitimate asset for Magneto's team. And... We get the famous scene of Magneto and Sabretooth and Toad walking out of the train station. And all the cops are waiting for him. And of course, Magneto uses his power, takes the guns up in the air, points them onto the cops. And Professor X takes control of Sabretooth's mind and puts Magneto in a chokehold. And it's just a really cool scene because it's an exchange between them, but not really. Because... Professor X is hiding in a car somewhere. A great shot of him talking through Sabretooth Magneto. And Magneto just, you get a sense in this scene, he doesn't care who he hurts along the way. He, his only mission is to get this machine up and running, to get Rogue, which they have, power the machine and make this thing work because he hates humans that much 
And it all goes back to the concentration camp scene. Without that scene, I'm not sure we buy Wolverine or not Wolverine Magneto's hatred of humans. And it, it, it all goes back to that scene, his motivation, how his character operates, how he sees the world. It all goes back to that scene. And it's evident here because he literally fires a bullet at a cop in an effort to get Professor X to release him, to release Sabretooth from the mind control. And it's just an, a really, really effective scene. And again, visual effects are on full display here. They hold up, folks. They hold up. Senator Kelly then arrives at the mansion after washing up on the beach. He is looking for Jean Grey, who he slandered in the in the Senate hearing earlier in the movie. And now he needs your help. Funny, it's just it's it's funny, it's funny how the world works. Professor X reads his mind and he sees what he went through. He sees he begins to see what Magneto's plan is, why he needs rogue. Uh he sees the machine, he sees the UN summit, and he begin he pieces it together. And then Senator Kelly dies. And he doesn't just die. He literally evaporates. He is, I don't even know if you call it sweating. He's just, he's leaking. He's profusely leaking from all his pores and eventually just succumbs, just evaporates in the water, holding on to Storm's hand. And that brings me to our second advertisement, a word from our sponsors. Today's episode is also presented by the law firm for the incompetent government officials of the Marvel Universe. Do you or a loved one currently occupy a public office in the Marvel Universe? Do you or they absolutely suck ass at that job? You may be entitled to financial compensation. Serving the shady, non-powered, higher-up bastards of the Marvel Universe for over 20 years, the law firm of the incompetent government officials of the Marvel Universe has been representing senators, congressmen, and even presidents in Marvel canon in our quest to quiet all slander against them. We have won our clients countless cases and over 20 million in settlements in our never-ending journey to clear everyone's memory of their brainless and mind-numbing decisions. Past clients include President Matthew Ellis from Iron Man 3, Senator Kelly from X-Men, Senator Stern from Iron Man 2, General Thunderbolt Ross from The Incredible Hulk, General Thunderbolt Ross from The 2003 Hulk, and Anthony Weiner from Real Life. Still second-guessing? Don't be. Pick up the phone and call the law firm for the incompetent government officials of the Marvel Universe today and get back what's yours. Professor X then gets hit bad by Cerebro. Mystique snuck in to the mansion, and I don't know what she put in Cerebro, but something to contaminate it, and it just knocks. It literally knocks Professor X's ass to the ground. He doesn't know what the fuck hit him. Jean uses Cerebro and finds Magneto, but it takes a lot out of her. I mean, she said earlier in the movie that her mind's not powerful enough. And she's nowhere near Professor X's level, and she uses Cerebro anyway to try and find Magneto so she can save Rogue. Finds them. They're on Liberty Island, 
And that leads us to the jet, the famous X-Men jet taking off from the mansion off the Liberty Island. Scott gets a yellow spandex comment in there at Logan when Logan complains about the costume. Little nod to the comics there, the yellow spandex. Then we get Wolverine versus Mystique, who is disguised as Wolverine. And the other X-Men versus Toad. Um, Phenomenal scene here. Phenomenal scene. I mean, it's it's awesome. It's awesome. Wolverine going at Mystique. And the way he proves that it's him after the fight, when Cyclops is like, prove it. And Wolverine's like, you're a dick. Everybody, everybody knows right away that's the real Logan. And Toad, meanwhile, gets fucking diced. He, he, for some reason, he decides to challenge Storm, who is not only one of the most powerful X-Men, but one of the most powerful members of the Marvel Universe. Decides to challenge her. doesn't end well. He ends up in the Hudson and we never see him again. Magneto then captures the X-Men, and Wolverine with an all-time line, if you really were so righteous, it'd be you in that thing, referring to Rogue and the machine. And Magneto, I think he noticed that Logan had a point, and he just kind of scoffed at it. <laughs> and just flew up and went to the machine anyway, because he just didn't want to deal with him. Wolverine stabs himself to escape from the from the uh, inside of the Statue of Liberty. That's kind of cool because it shows you how far he's willing to go to save Rogue. I mean, this uh, him and Rogue came into the X-Men together. And in his mind, if that's the case, they're, they're going to leave together. And he's willing to do anything it takes to save her as far as stabbing himself, which he knows won't kill him, but it will hurt a hell of a lot. And then he fights Sabretooth, which is one of the great movies. Again, X-Men Origins defines them as brothers, Sabretooth and Wolverine, and it kind of taints this scene, especially because earlier in the movie, Sabretooth took Wolverine's dog tags from Magneto's desk, acting like he knew Wolverine. So it's, it's kind of... It's kind of tainted by Origins, but not really. It's still still a great scene. Great scene where Wolverine is launched off the Statue of Liberty, but grabs onto one of the points of the crown with his claw and gets back on the head of the Statue of Liberty. It's just, it's awesome. It's a great scene. That's one of those points where CGI, not great, but I'm willing to look past it because it's just, it's awesome. Wolverine shuts down the machine. This is probably the most epic sequence of the movie. You get everyone's power on display. Wolverine about to claw the machine down so Rogue can get out. Magneto using his power to stop Wolverine from doing that. And Gene lofting Wolverine up onto the machine to stop it. And ultimately Scott Cyclops has to shoot a beam through his eyes at Magneto to allow Wolverine to stop the machine. It's just everyone, everybody's power is on display. Rogue gets the famous white streak in her hair. It's, it's, a great, it's a great scene. Rogue then uses Logan to heal herself because the machine, it just, it just took too much out of her, folks. She couldn't do it. 
So he he used, she uses Wolverine to heal herself. They go back to the mansion. Professor X shows Logan Alkali Lake where he can get some answers to his past. He steals Cyclops' motorcycle again. I'm going to talk about that later uh, and how Professor X let that happen. He stole it again, folks. And Cyclops, honestly, maybe hide your motorcycle so this doesn't happen. Uh, I don't know who to, I don't know who gets blamed more for allowing this to happen, but we'll see. Magneto and Professor X then play chess in the plastic prison, um, and Professor X with an all-time flex line here. He says, "I feel a great swell of pity for the soul who comes to that school looking for trouble." What a line! What a fucking line! He's basically saying, if you come to that door, you're gonna get fucked up. And I have pity for you for that reason. It's what a flex. What a flex, folks. So now that we're past the plot, I want to get into the background of how this movie came to be because it's, it's, it's really kind of complicated. So this is all from Wikipedia. I'm just reading straight from Wikipedia. I'm sorry to all my college professors, but that's what I'm doing right now. Marvel Comics writers and chief editors Jerry Conway and Roy Thomas wrote an X-Men screenplay in 1984 when Orion Pictures, the studio, by the way, that released Silence of the Lambs, held an option on the film rights, but development stalled when Orion began facing financial troubles. And Silence of the Lambs really saved... Orion Pictures, but I'll save that for another pod. Throughout 1989 and 1990, Stan Lee and Chris Claremont, probably the best to ever write on X-Men, were in discussions with Carol Co. Pictures for an X-Men film adaptation with James Cameron as producer and Catherine Bigelow directing. Sign me up! The story treatment was written by Bigelow with Bob Hoskins being considered for Wolverine. If you don't know who Bob Hoskins is, look him up. He is uh, the detective and who framed Roger Rabbit. I, I, I can't see him as Wolverine. But this next one I can. Angela Bassett being considered for the role of Storm. Oh, yeah. Sign me up, baby. Sign me up. The deal fell apart when Stan Lee piqued Cameron's interest on a Spider-Man film. Carol Co. going bankrupt. That will stall things. And the film's rights reverting back to Marvel. In December 1992, Marvel discussed selling the property to Columbia Pictures to no avail. Columbia would ultimately get the rights to Spider-Man. Meanwhile, Avi Arad produced the animated X-Men TV series for Fox Kids. Fuck, yeah, great, great series. Check that out on Disney+. 20th Century Fox was impressed by the success of the show, and producer Lauren Schuler Donner purchased the film rights for them in 1994 bringing Andrew Kevin Walker on to write the script. Andrew Kevin Walker wrote Seven. Uh, we did a pod on that a while back. And um, kind of crazy that he almost read X-Men. That's just, I, I can't even imagine what that would look like. Well, here's what it looks like. Walker's draft involved Professor Xavier recruiting Wolverine into the X-Men, which consisted of Cyclops, Jean Grey, Iceman, Beast, and Angel which, by the way, was the OG X-Men lineup. The Brotherhood of Mutants, which consisted of Magneto, Sabretooth, Toad, Juggernaut, and the Blob, tried to conquer New York City, while Henry, Peter, Guyrich, and Boulevard Trask, who invented these Sentinels, X-Men 
killing machines, attacked the X-Men with three eight-foot sentinels. The script focused on the rivalry between Wolverine and Cyclops, as well as the latter's self-doubt as a field leader. Uh, that's, that's, I could get behind that. Part of the backstory invented for Magneto made him the cause of the Chernobyl disaster. Wow! The script also featured the X-Copter and the Danger Room, which we see in X3. Walker turned in his second draft in June of 94. Laeda Caligridis, John Logan, John Seamus, and Joss Whedon Interesting. were brought on for subsequent rewrites. One of these scripts kept the idea of Magneto turning Manhattan into a mutant homeland, while another hinged on a romance between Wolverine and Storm. Whoa! Hot and heavy! Logan and Storm! Hey, if you don't know, by the way, Storm... In the comics is Black Panther's wife. And unfortunately, I don't think we're going to get that in the movies, but that's just a fun fact for you. Whedon's draft featured the Danger Room and concluded with Jean Grey dressed as the Phoenix, which we ultimately got once and uh, even again in Dark Phoenix. Don't, don't watch that, by the way. According to Entertainment Weekly, Whedon's screenplay was rejected because of its quick-witted pop culture referencing tone. I don't know what they thought they were getting. It's it's Joss Whedon. And the finished film contained only two dialogue exchanges that Whedon had contributed. Michael Chabon pitched a six-page film treatment to Fox in 1996, focused heavily on character development between Wolverine and Jubilee, and included Professor X, Cyclops, Jean Grey, Nightcrawler, Beast, Iceman, and Storm. Under Jamon's plan, the villains would not have been introduced until the second film. Interesting. Ultimately, for this movie, Beast, Nightcrawler, Pyro, and The Danger Room had to be deleted for the studio greenlit the film. I kind of get that. Um, One thing that sticks out to me is no Gambit mentioned at all. I don't know why that is. Gambit, you know, at that point, still a relatively new relatively new character. He didn't premiere until the 90s. Um I kind of like Gambit. He gets a bad rap because people don't know what he does. What he does is he charges he charges things with energy enough to make them explosive, to make them bombs. And I, I don't know why he gets a bad rap. Maybe it's cuz he just throws playing cards and uh, he sucked at X-Men Origins but uh, I, I like Gambit I like him and he was great in the animated series um, so that's kind of the background on this one a lot of shit was going on um, and you know we ended up getting Beast and Nightcrawler anyway I'll talk about Nightcrawler in the next two episode but Beast and Nightcrawler are really essential X-Men characters, if I was building an X-Men dream team, both of them would definitely be on it, and it's kind of a shame. Like we said at the top, only a $75 million budget, but they made almost $300 million, and I guess it's okay for Beast and Nightcrawler to be excluded from this. I mean, they would have added I don't know how many million to the budget, but I mean, Nightcrawler's a guy who can teleport in his blue Beast is blue, and he's just a smaller version of the Hulk. And it's, I can see why that would inflate the budget. So I understand why they were, you know, acts from the movie. 
Moving on to Hugh Jackman as Logan slash Wolverine. I, uh, as odd as it is to say, and I know people all, always say, I can't see anyone else playing Wolverine. And I, I really can't. But at the same time, I feel like people are just, you know, in the age of the MCU, people think Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, Chris Hemsworth, and I, I agree with them. They're awesome. They're awesome. Some of the best comic book movie portrayals we've ever had and that we'll ever have. But it's been four years since Logan came out, the movie. And I just feel like Hugh Jackman as Wolverine is... It's kind of underrated now. It really is because Infinity War and Endgame took over the world and the spotlight was on Iron Man. It was on Captain America and Thor and rightfully so, rightfully so. But I just feel like, I don't know, I might be alone on this. I just feel like Wolverine is getting kind of underrated. And I'm here to tell you that shouldn't be the case. You could make a significant argument that up to this point, when X-Men came out, this was the best portrayal of a Marvel or DC character on the screen to that point. And I think that's the case, and I don't think it's close. All due respect to Christopher Reeve as Superman and Michael Keaton as Batman and Jack Nicholson as the Joker, all due respect to those guys, they they did great jobs. Even Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor. All due respect to them, Hugh Jackman as Wolverine was literally perfect. And you can't say that a lot about, really, especially until the MCU came along. You couldn't say that about a lot of comic book movie castings. I think Wesley Snipes' Blade was pretty spot on, but this blew everything out of the water. Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. Like I said earlier... You can make a case Wolverine was the most popular comic book character at the time when these movies were getting pumped out. And I would make the case, I mean, I would. I would say Hugh Jackman as Wolverine is the best, it was the best portrayal of a Marvel or DC character to that point in history cinema. And I don't think it's close. I don't think it's close at all. And you, you could really, I don't think... You know, I don't think it's a winning case, but you can make a case that it still is. That it still is the best portrayal of a Marvel or DC character. Now, of course, you know, I have some other ones written down here. Heath Ledger is the Joker. It's a different take on the Joker, but it's it, it's probably the best. Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man. Chris Evans as Captain America. Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool. And then Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. I think those are the five. I think those are the five. Chris Hemsworth is Thor, outside looking in. Brolin as Thanos. Um, but I, ju- I just think up to this point, when X-Men came out in 2000, it's not even, not even a contest that this was the best portrayal of one of those characters on, on the movie screen. It's not, it's not even close. And we can thank Russell Crowe for it, folks. Russell Crowe was the director Brian Singer's first choice to play Wolverine. But he turned it down because he was already, he was already doing Gladiator. 
And it's kind of weird that we can thank Russell Crowe because his career has really gone off a cliff. I don't know if you've seen Unhinged, but um, not great, folks. Not great at all. Also, consider for the role, Keanu Reeves. No, thanks. No, thanks. Look, I love Keanu. I love him. I don't think he's a great actor by any stretch of the imagination. Maybe not even a good actor, but he's good at what he does. And by that, I mean he's good at Neo. He's good at John Wick. He's good in Point Break. He's good at roles that don't require a lot of depth. And Wolverine would have required a lot of depth. And I don't think if Keanu Reeves is Wolverine that it lasts 17 years like it did with Hugh Jack. No offense to Keanu Reeves. I love the guy. He's a great guy. Great. He's a good actor, but wouldn't have worked in my opinion. Mel Gibson also considered. Um, this was the time before Mel Gibson made <laughs> made anti-Semitic comments on the phone uh, and before he was able to make his comeback. He was a star at this time. I wonder if he turned it. I wonder. I mean, I, it, the Patriot came out the same year, so I wonder if that was the reason he it didn't work out with him. Aaron Eckhart considered Two Face Harvey Dent, folks considered for Wolverine. Ah, I, I don't know. Edward Norton considered no thanks. Viggo Mortensen considered no thanks. And this next one is laughable. John Claude Van Damme. Um, no, no, they, they really, they really nailed it. I don't think they couldn't. I mean, I, I was talking with Alex before this. I can't see anyone else playing Wolverine. It's going to be interesting to see what they do in the MCU with him because, you know, the X-Men are coming at some point. Wolverine is in many respects, the face of the X-Men face of the mutant community, really. And it's just going to be weird. It's going to take some getting used to not seeing Hugh Jackman with the claws. It's going to be weird. And my pick would be Emil Hirsch. Emil Hirsch um, has not been very active recently, but if you look up Emil Hirsch, he has the look for Wolverine. I don't know if he has the acting chops, but he has the look. And I think the most recent thing he was in was once upon a time in Hollywood. He was, one of the friends of Sharon Tate, but uh, just just look him up right now. Emil Hirsch, um, he has the look. I don't know if he has the chops, but he he would be he would be my pick. I would. The only reason I say he doesn't have the chops is because I haven't seen him in a lot of stuff recently, and so I wonder if he could do it. You know, you know what? He does have the chops because Into the Wild was a great movie and he was good in it. And I think he could, I think he could pull it off. And he has the look, so he's got that going for him too. Uh, moving on to the character spotlight. Uh, in each of these monologues I do, I'm going to pick a character to spotlight in. Since I just did Wolverine, the spotlight today is going to be Rogue. And Rogue's powers are significantly downplayed in this movie. She is much more powerful in the books than we see here. Um, I'm reading this straight from the Marvel Encyclopedia, which, by the way, if you consider yourself a Marvel fan, you got to have this book because this is literally... Any character worth mentioning in the Marvel Universe is in this book. They have a biography. 
they have any anything you want they have and it's it's a great book let me see how much it is um 40 bucks 40 bucks i got this at barnes and noble it's worth it they updated every 10 years i think this one came out in 2016 the one i had before was 06 so yeah every 10 years they update it and so this one is updated to account for you know all the new people that came in and some of which came in through the mcu but anyway this is all coming from the marvel encyclopedia and if you don't have it i would suggest it if you're a marvel fan rogue her real name is we we don't really get we don't ever get her real name in the books or the movies it's it's officially unrevealed but she often goes by marie or anna marie but sometimes just rogue but officially we don't know her name occupation she's a former terrorist and now remember the x-men Five foot eight inches, 120 pounds, eyes green, hair brown. Her first appearance was Avengers Annual number 10 in 1981. Her powers. She has the mutant ability to absorb the memories, knowledge, talents, personality, and physical abilities of another person through physical contact with them. Do you see what I'm saying about how her powers were downplayed in this movie? Let me say that again. Absorb the memories, knowledge, talents, personality and physical abilities of another person that is unbelievable that is like omega level mutant power i mean omega level we're talking gene gray we're talking magneto we're talking professor x that is unbelievable and it's significantly downplayed in this movie but shockingly didn't uh it didn't turn out to hurt it rogue orphaned rogue ran away from her mississippi home and was adopted by mystique and destiny Her mutant power manifested itself when she kissed a boy and absorbed his memories. She joined Mystique's Brotherhood of Evil Mutants in her teens. While fighting Miss Marvel, Rogue absorbed her superhuman strength, durability, and the power of flight. Unable to control her absorption power, Rogue turned to the X-Men for help. Professor X invited her to join them, and she fell in love with Gambit. After the villain pandemic infected her with the ADA virus, Rogue's skin became lethal to anyone she touched. To save her, Mystique touched Rogue with the infant Hope Summers, which took away her lethal touch and all her absorbed powers and memories. Later, Professor X helped her remove the mental blocks that formed each time she used her powers, allowing her to control them. Afterwards, she followed Wolverine to his new Jean Grey school for higher learning and joined the Avengers Unity Squad. So. There you go. A little bit on Rogue. You could argue the main character of this movie. Um, yeah, just, you know, just a little history lesson on Rogue. And if you're wondering how mutants are different from other power beings, the key difference, there's a few differences, but the key one is mutants are born with their powers. You know, they're born with them. Somebody like Spider-Man or the Hulk, um, Captain America, they weren't born with their powers. Something happened to them along the way that gave them those abilities. The thing with mutants is they're born with them. You know, Jean Grey was born with the ability to read minds. Same thing with Professor X. Magneto was born with the ability to manipulate metal. You know, that's that's the key difference. They were born with them. Other heroes that we see in the Marvel Universe were not born with those abilities. They acquired them along the way fantastic four you know not mutants they acquired them another way so that's that's 
that's the key difference. The mutants are born with their powers. The runtime of this movie, shockingly, one hour, 44 minutes. It is baffling. They were able to tell a story like this in a coherent manner in less than two hours. It is unbelievable. And I think speaks volumes to how much Brian Singer appreciated the material, how committed the actors were. I mean, I saw some behind the scenes stuff that I didn't, I didn't include that in here in the show tonight, but I mean, Ian McKellen, especially who played Magneto really took a liking to the story because, you know, for those that don't know, Ian McKellen's a gay man and he was really taken by the prejudice shown towards mutants in this movie. And as a gay man, of course he's experienced prejudice and he was just really attracted to that part of the story. And he understood where Magneto was coming from in terms of, you know, this guy was the victim of bias Magneto and as was Ian McKellen. So it was just really a perfect fit in a lot of ways, but for uh, troubling reasons, you know, you never want to see bias or prejudice in any form, but that's what attracted Ian McKellen to it. And folks, it paid off. He, he put in a great performance. Um, it, it's just it's a great performance. One of the great villains that we've seen in, in a Marvel movie. Um, but again, X-Men came out in the pre MCU era. And I think that's why, especially people in my age group or older, I think that's why we appreciate the MCU so much is because, you know, we grew up with the Raimi Spider-Man trilogy. We grew up with these X-Men movies. We grew up with the Ang Lee Hulk, Ben Affleck, Daredevil. We grew up with those movies. And in our minds, something like Infinity War just could never be done. And that's why I really, for me personally, that's why I appreciate X-Men and Spider-Man those movies because without them, we wouldn't be where we are today with the MCU. We just, we just wouldn't be. And I have my pre MCU Marvel movies rankings here. It was tough. And I I don't even know if I agree with my current ranking, but here it is. Number one, I have Spider-Man two. And you know, we did the whole trilogy with Coop I, I I don't need to really speak on that. I think it's the, I think you can make a case. It's still a top ten Marvel movie, regardless of MCU or not. I think it, I think it still could be. Number two is X two. Um, I said at the top, I think X two is better than this movie, X Men, for a few reasons. But I have X two number two because we get a little more on Wolverine. Um, spoiler alert: Jean Grey dies at the end of X2 and we get a little teaser uh, for her turning into the Phoenix, which leads into X3, which sucks. And spoiler alert did not make my top five pre MCU Marvel movies. And it won't be, it won't be. And I'm dreading talking about it. Um, number three is this movie X-Men number four, Spider-Man one and number five, the first blade movie. And I referenced this, I forget which pod it was on with Brett, but I mentioned this. I love Blade, and I can't wait for the Mahershala Ali iteration of Blade. But Wesley Snipes, that was some pretty dead-on casting, folks. 
that was some pretty dead on casting. And oddly enough, Blade was the first major Marvel movie release. 1998. It was the first one. Kind of a weird choice. I don't I I don't know all the behind the scenes pre-production production stuff of why Blade was the one to come first, but it was and it was a good movie. It was a really good movie. And the Blade trilogy, you know, at points is bad, but overall is pretty good. It's pretty good. Moving on to some questions and comedy. Uh, you know, we all, we always, when Brett was still part of the show, we, we always, we always did this. And I kind of combined them into one because I realized some of my questions fell on the comedy and some of my comedy fell on the questions. So I just said fucking combine them. Number one, Xavier school tuition. I tried to figure out what the tuition of Xavier school for gifted youngsters looks like. And I don't know. I don't know what the financial aid for Xavier school is. I don't want to know. I imagine it's through the roof. I mean, how else can you afford a jet like that? You're getting paid something for this school. I, I, I don't know what professor X is doing. Maybe he has, his, maybe it's some under the table, shady shit. I don't know, but the tuition is through the roof. How many times has mystique infiltrated the mansion? This is a question that came to my mind when she disguised herself as Bobby Drake, Iceman, and told Rogue basically to fuck off. She got into that mansion so easily. It begs the question, how often does she just walk into the mansion? I mean, it, doesn't, it, doesn't take, it doesn't take any effort on her part. It's unbelievable. I'm going to say at least 10 times just to see what was going on in there. It's unbelievable. And I have a note on Mystique. I think Mystique is really hot in this movie, and I don't care. I, I don't care what you think of it. I think she's a dime in this movie, and I would totally slip in the DMs of Mystique. I would. I totally would. Next one, who is betting against Wolverine in a cage match? Look, folks, we get a little glimpse into how much of an animal, no pun intended, Wolverine is in the cage. And who in their right mind, if you're in attendance that night at the bar, watching Wolverine pummel everyone you get drunk with every night into submission, and you are betting against him. If you're betting against Wolverine in a cage match, you you deserve to lose your money. You deserve to lose your money. It, it's it's totally ridiculous. Rogue saying to Logan on the road trip, suddenly my life doesn't look that bad. Tough. Tough beat. Really tough. Cyclops asks Professor X if Wolverine is coming on the mission. What are you fucking kidding me? This dude, this dude can heal in like five minutes. Of course he's coming. And then next, look, Storm. I mentioned it. Storm is one of the most powerful mutants and people, period, in the Marvel Universe. She can manipulate the weather to her will. So my question is, how many meteorologists lost their jobs because Storm decided to have a blizzard when uh dude from Fox 59 News predicted a thunderstorm. What happened to that guy? Did he get fired? 
did he get laid off because he sucked at his job, even though it was Storm's fault? What happened? How many meteorologists are on the unemployment line right now because Storm just decides what the weather's going to be? How many? That's all I'm asking. And the last one, I mentioned this in the plot lines. Professor X, to our knowledge, is the most powerful telepath in the Marvel Universe. And when Logan steals Scott's motorcycle at the end, Professor X has to know about it. Which tells me he let it happen. Professor X let Wolverine steal Cyclops' motorcycle again, which leads me to believe Professor X hates Cyclops. Make of it what you will. That's what I think. That, that's the vibe I'm getting. Professor X let it happen. He let it happen. And moving on to our newest segment, one of our newest segments. IMDB, do you buy it? Or is it bullshit? I'll be reading trivia from the X-Men IMDb page and you and I will decide if these facts are, do we buy them or are they bullshit? So the first one here, Hugh Jackman took ice cold showers every morning of filming in order to help get into character. This tradition started when jumping into the shower at 5 a.m., before realizing there was no hot water. Shocked awake, but not wanting to wake his sleeping wife, he gritted his teeth and bore it, before realizing that this mindset, wanting to scream and lash out at something, but having to hold it in, was the mentality that Wolverine is in constantly. He then made cold showers his Wolverine preparation routine for each movie featuring the character. Folks, I am saying, I'm going to buy that. I'm totally going to buy that. I don't think that's bullshit. I'm going to buy that. I'm going to buy that. Next up. Shortly after accepting the role of Magneto, Ian McKellen was offered the role of Gandalf in Lord of the Rings, which he originally had to decline. He spoke to director Brian Singer about his interest in making Lord of the Rings, and Singer agreed to rearrange the movie's shooting schedule so that McKellen could finish his scenes by the end of 99 freeing him up to travel to New Zealand in January 2000 where the Lord of the Rings had been in production since October of 99. I'm going to buy that. I'm totally going to buy that. I don't, I don't know why somebody would make that up. In order to keep her look a secret, Rebecca Romaine had to sit in an isolated windowless room when not required for shooting. I had almost no contact with the rest of the cast. It was like I was making a different movie from everyone else. It was hell. Well, if there's a quote from me, I'm going to buy it. <laughs> I'm going to buy that. Uh, Sir Patrick Stewart was the first actor to be cast as a mutant and, in fact, had been a fan favorite for the role of Professor X since the 90s. I buy that. Totally buy that. This next one, I'm, I'm calling bullshit. Hugh Jackman got his testicles caught in a harness after a six-foot jump off the set Statue of Liberty. Bullshit. Bullshit. Total bullshit. No way. Hugh Jackman's physique looks slightly different in different scenes because he was cast three weeks after principal photography had started. Kept working out extensively while shooting continued. Buy it, folks. Buy it. And our last segment of the night, the mailbag. People will send things in and I will read them. And tonight, I've got two entries that are worth it. 
I thought were worth reading off to you guys. So here we go. Frodo from the Shire writes, don't get me wrong. I'm a huge fan of this movie. It's nice to see my friend Gandalf looking clean shaven and sporting a new wardrobe, but this shit can no longer be ignored. Oh shit, Frodo going in. It's abundantly clear that the old bag Gandalf was holding out on me in the fellowship. Flying around and controlling metal and all this shit. Where was this on my trip to Mordor? Where the fuck were you, brother? You could have flown my ass to Mount Doom in like a couple hours and taken the eye of Sauron down just by looking at it. You had me hiking God knows how many miles and then Sam's ass had to carry me up a literal volcano. I really didn't want to do this, but I'm calling bullshit, dude. I'm done holding my tongue. Next time you come to the Shire, fuck off. Oof. (laughs) Holy shit, Frodo writing into the show. Frodo, thanks for the write-in, but damn. Gandalf taking L's. Holy shit. Oh, wow. And the last one. Doug P. from Philly. Doug P. from Philly, okay, asks, Hey, Zach, big fan of the movie and the show. Well, thanks, Doug. However, I'm a recently unemployed coach. I I mean, teacher. And I have a lot of time on my hands. I can't help but wonder if I should have been more of a Magneto than a Charles to my student. Let's call him Carson. Okay, Doug. Maybe if I had been more stern and upfront with him, I'd still be with the Eagles. I mean, the school I taught at. What do you think? Also, do the Colts like their coaching staff? Any chance of an opening soon? Just curious. Well, Doug, uh, I think you got the wrong idea here. Um, Doug P. from Philly. Um, If you are who I think you are, Doug, I would say... Yeah, I think that I think Carson would have been bad no matter what you did, whether you were a Magneto or a Charles. I don't think it would have mattered. And as for the Colts, uh, I don't think there's any openings. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Doug P. from Philly. I'm sorry. Uh, that's all I got, folks. Uh, X-Men. Again, check it out on Disney+. Plus. Re- recently uh, released on there. And uh, totally worth it. I mean, like I said, I hadn't seen it in probably two years and totally worth it. And I can't stress enough how much I don't want people to forget about it because I feel like once the X-Men come into the MCU, these first two movies of the X-Men series are just going to get forgotten. And I I really don't want that to happen. So check check this out. Uh, And as always, you know, Check out the rest of our content on the Running Hook Network. We got the Battleground hosted by me with um, Bryce and JD. We got the Running Hook with Alex him and Dylan pumping out those basketball power hours they had won this week on the Bucks, the Cavs, and the Jazz. Check that one out. Then we've got uh, not part of the Running Hook, but Facts and Stats with JD Hall. He recently had Bryce and his uh, fiance on to talk about relationships. I heard that went well. So check that out. Top. Triple option pass with Ryan Gregory and Devin Voss. They'll get you covered on everything that's going on with recruiting, with off-season stuff in college football. You don't want to miss them. Lynn Sanity with Caleb Lynn. Uh, I was on there for the playoffs. I'm not on there anymore. But uh, Caleb will be on for uh, WandaVision. On, uh, I think that will come out on Monday with me and Alex talking about episode four 
or WandaVision. Should check that out. And buy Dylan Hughes' book, folks. Buy it. It's on Amazon now. It is, I, I helped edit it. And let me tell you, it is worth it. It is totally worth it. I, it's, it's just, it's just a good book, folks. Mine's on the way. I can't wait to, I, I can't wait to read it in its entirety. And, uh, you just, you need to get it folks. You need to get it. It's if you don't get it, I'll be really disappointed. It's, it's, it's great. And, uh, as always folks, thanks for listening. And, if you're sticking around, especially now that it's just me, I, I really appreciate it because, and as always, thanks for listening.